Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Mallory Mercer, Director of Advocacy and Community Engagement for the STAR Coalition. On this podcast series, we are going to shed light on some of the most stigmatized and misunderstood areas of the mental health industry. Our hope is that through this podcast, we can bring transparency and light to a system that is so heavily scrutinized. We aim to share vital information about a multitude of mental health topics while spreading the message that research equals hope. This morning, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Ms. Letitia Griffin, APRN at CNS Research. Good morning, Letitia. Good morning. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am doing well. I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Of course. Well, we are so happy to have you today. You are kicking off our Black History Month series. Um, and so I just want to get to know you a little bit in CNS research. So tell me about yourself and your background in the field of clinical research. Okay. So I am a nurse practitioner. I was an RN for a very long time. Um, I started in research at a hospital, and we did research in the hospital, but it was mo- mostly mental health. The hospital was an acute psychiatric unit, so my experience came initially from there with we would get people stable who came in in a crisis and then unstable them, put them in a research study. So that's when I really became interested in research, and at that point I saw how much, how important research was not only to the patient, to the field of medicine, but also to their family. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I did that, and I was in Virginia at that time. Then I moved to Florida, and I started working with CNS Healthcare. I started as a pre-screener where I saw everyone would have to do um, physical and mental health assessment to see if they would meet the, what is needed in research. But most of all, I would try to give them the power back and let them decide once they came in if they wanted to participate. I've also done some other little things, of course, in the nursing field, med surge, a lot in sight. I've also worked in a correctional facility um, and also, you know, done little side things as well. You have vast experience, and I've really enjoyed getting to hear about all of those offline. But I want to know what made you decide to go um, from hospitals to clinical research only? It was the experience I had at the hospital once we started doing research in the hospital. So I had been at the hospital for several years, and they had approached me because I was the nursing manager of two units. One was an acute psych, and one was a dual diagnosis where we did substance abuse. And they had approached me about the idea of our psych, our hospital, doing clinical research. I thought it was a really good idea because then you can see how cutting-edge medications can affect the patients and have them in a safe environment at the same time. So that's what got me really interested in clinical research. And once I saw all the safety that was involved with the clients who went into research, I I was sold at that time. Because I had always probably had the mentality, like a lot of people, clinical research, all that's going to happen. But when I saw you have time, everything, everything has to be in order. Anything that is abnormal, you would halt the person from getting that medication. So I just love the safety that was involved in research. I think the safety aspect that you mentioned and being so controlled in the research environment is something that a lot of people are not aware of when it comes to clinical research. Can you tell me within your transition, was there anything that was a little bit difficult for you at the start and how you got through that? 
if, if I have to be totally honest with you, I said I was an RN for many years. Other RNs do not kill me. Sometimes we can shortcut some things. As long as we do it, we can time it for that time. We can do a late entry. Research, you can't do that. It has to be done at that time. Everything has to be in order. So I had to change my way of thinking where the orders to draw blood now, I can't wait an hour to draw. I had to do it at that time. So that was more of the adjustment. And also with the criteria, that was a little adjustment for me as well. I think the first patient we put in in the hospital, everything was perfect except the study had a BMI. And trying to train myself as an RN and the other RNs and the other staff that although they're meeting all this, their BMI is over the criteria, so they can't participate. So it was trying to understand that research is different from real world as far as treatment is concerned. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about CNS. What is your main focus with CNS research? Well, at this time now, it is increasing the awareness of research with diversity, equity, and inclusion. So when I was here directly at one site, I was always advocating for more diversity in our study. I was just leading the charge all the time. But now that's primarily what I focus on as well as I'm a sub-PI, seeing patients, physicals, seeing them once they're in the research process. But now I'm doing a lot of education to increase diversity in research. Can you tell me a little bit about that education and how you're conducting it? Is it with your staff or is it with the community? It's actually both. Initially, I thought it would just be primarily with the community. And what I have learned is that if I do a lot of education in the community, and at the staff level, it's not done, it does not happen. So it's actually with both. I do look in services for staff. I try to offer what you may see in this group of people versus this person, and they may both have depression, um, how you may approach someone to get more information so that they can participate. In the community, I'm just doing a lot of education on the safety of research. The importance of people of color, different LGBTQ plus communities, people over age 65, educating them on clinical research and how safe it is and the benefits of clinical research. So on the staff level, a lot of times when I am able to put someone in research, uh, one of our studies, I constantly contact them to see how their experience is going, what we could do better as far as our diversity, and on the staff level, what can we do better. What has been the feedback gotten or the differences that you've seen since COVID hit? Do you feel like people are receiving research more positively or do you think that it has made it a little bit more difficult for especially communities of color to receive research? I'm hesitating only because prior to COVID, it was a different feel as far as people of color participating in studies. Once COVID came, i never forget a young lady. I called her and she said, thank you, Miss Letitia. They all called me Miss Letitia for calling me. But we've been last and everything else. Now they want to make us first with this vaccine. So what I saw once COVID hit with the vaccines and afterwards is some people have shied away people of color from doing research. Prior to COVID, it was still that concern, but it was a little bit, okay, let me try, let me try. But when COVID hit and the vaccines, it did change just a little bit, just a little bit. Do you, just from your experience working in your community, have you seen any successful ways that we can help repair any of the damage that was done? I think 
think it just goes back to basic health care with, you know, any type of diverse population, um, feeling that they are included, making them know that they count just like the other person. And I think as far as the damage, you know, with COVID and the vaccines, people were just scared at that time. And it was not a lot of education out. And, you know, the response was they're doing them too quick. So afterwards, to let them know, okay, this is a different study, different criteria. That was a crisis at that time. So this is a little different. So educating them, okay, this is a little different. This isn't a crisis situation. We can make sure that you fully understand. We're going to make sure you fully read the consent. We may ask you questions to let them know that there was a difference between those different situations with research and just the continual education, letting them know it's okay if you're interested that you decide, I don't want to participate in this. And definitely always offering them the opportunity to go back and talk to your primary care doctor. So I learned that the COVID actually suggests that a lot now. Go back and talk to your primary care doctor. I'm going to give you some information. If your primary care doctor has any questions, Please ask them to give me a call as well as the fam. I noticed after COVID and during COVID, because we were fortunate, we stayed open during COVID, but I also realized how much, especially when you're working with diverse populations, offering to speak to family members makes a huge difference, a huge difference. I think that really sets CNS apart just from our conversations that we've had, the different ways that you guys have responded to the mm-hmm. pandemic and to community needs. So I just want everyone to hear about how you did respond to the pandemic through your mobile outreach vans. Can you tell everyone about that a little bit? Oh, yes. So how we responded from beginning to the pandemic, people were scared to come out. So what we did was we may not have had a lot of supplies here, but what we had, we offered it to clients, masks. Gloves, face shield, gowns. We offer that to them. In fact, we had a little package for patients. And I was surprised at a difference that made. Some people we had called, I'm not coming in, I'm not leaving. When we let them know we were offering it, I'm on my way. I can't find it in any stores. Hand sanitizers. We weren't just giving out samples. I was giving out bottles. We were giving out bottles of hand sanitizers. And what we also realized is that no matter doing that, some people are not going to want to leave their home. So we actually have a mobile unit that we use, and it's like, works wonderful. In fact, yesterday I went out to do a, a lab draw on a client that was a hard stick in the office. She was just so impressed. Oh, my God, y'all came out to see me. So during COVID, we utilized that for people who may have been ill, had a few family member. We used all precautions that were needed when they came on the minivan. A mobile van, uh, we use all the precautions wiping down, and that's what made the, the clients feel comfortable. So we use that any time that would help with observational studies, lab jaws. For kids, we have an ADHD study, and we realize sometimes if they're in the mobile van, they're a lot more common if we have to do in the book because they don't have all the people in the office, all the noise and everything. So they're a lot calmer. So we use that to help decrease people's fear of becoming ill or coming in contact with the virus. The COVID virus, while they were in the study, when COVID was like at its peak, we park it outside of our site as well. So people could just use that versus coming in the office. Oh, that's incredible. I want to touch on the barriers that you mentioned for different indications. Can you talk about whether it is with a pandemic or with a certain indication where an individual may not feel comfortable in the clinic or may not have access to transportation? Can you talk about the barriers that the van addresses in clinical research? Number one, gas expense. Gas is expensive, so that helps individuals with costs. 
And that's so important. I mentioned ADHD, and I always say as a single parent, I had one child in, and I had three other kids. I have to pick all the way up from school. Kids always want snacks. You got to buy snacks before you get that snack home. It's a lot. So it has really helped with gas and decreasing the cost for clients who may participate. It's also helped with work conflict. A lot of people have moved from working at home now, so the mobile van gives us an opportunity to actually go to their home so they don't miss any time traveling to our site and miss any work. We can go to their home, and that has made a huge difference. It's made a huge difference as far as lab draws because it's a more secure, you know, just one-on-one, another person is there. It also, we actually, with the mobile van, some people, we have a study for weight loss. And some people don't necessarily want to do a lot of things in the office when we can actually do it on the mobile van and they feel more at ease and more secure. The convenience of not having to go through rush hours because of our office hours, so that has honestly made a big difference. So tell me, just hearing all this, it sounds like a pretty big job on your part and on CNS's part to orchestrate mobile units. Can you tell anyone that may be interested in implementing these, has it been cost effective? Does it feel easier on your workload? Can you just talk about that experience a little bit? Actually, it does feel easier on the workload. Because I actually worked at the site and now I'm on the mobile site. For the site staff, it is easier on the workload. And I go back to the child with ADHD drawing their blood. I'm in the lab. It's a busy day. We have a lot of lab work to do, processes. And I have a kid that I know hates blood work. That's an extra half an hour that I'm going to have to take time with that kid. So it does relieve staff stress level. If they have to have someone come in, they don't want them out of window. So that helps keep the person in the window with that, that mobile unit. We don't have to worry about the person having to drop because they can't make an appointment. If the person has a new job, because we have seen that a lot in Orlando. And with COVID, people have gone from job to job. So, of course, in that first 90 days, you may not be able to get off, but we can come to you. So that has made it so that they can definitely continue employment and get paid full salary without missing any day. With, with the staff and their relief. If a urine for some reason needs to be repeated, don't have to worry about someone coming in, adding that person to their schedule. We can go see them and collect it. I think the return is so much higher than many think. It does sound oh, like yeah. a lot of work, but when you break it down and do a cost-benefit analysis, I think you're being more efficient as a site, but also you're reaching mm-hmm. the community in a more intentional way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that trust. And, you know, we had talked offline about the van kind of helping educate your community on research as a treatment option, but also as a career field. You know, I don't think a lot of people know about uh, clinical research, and that's an option to look into why you're in school and once you graduate college, especially if you are a biology major, science major, with maybe plans to have gone to medical school, but sometimes life gets in the way. Research is a wonderful option, and I don't think it's discussed enough in undergraduate school and also in graduate school. We employ a lot of graduate level clinician social workers, and you would be surprised that there's still a whole group who have known nothing about research. And the interesting thing about the therapists who have worked here is that and the ones I've reached out in the community, they all agree I'm doing therapy, I'm doing therapy, but I'm noticing my client is not getting better. 
they may just need a medication to help them so that they can actually use resource to go along with the therapy if the person is already in therapy without having to lose their client. So if the mobile van plays into that, because if the person is in a therapist, they may be missing days to go to their therapy appointments. They may not be able to come in for their studies, so we can actually go to them. So that that has played like a significant help, you know, as far as the mobile unit and reaching people who may not have known and working with therapists and just educating the people in college that this is a career option and it's not just a job, it's a career. And it's a career that you will feel wonderful about. You'll feel like you're really helping your community. And I know when I was in school, I never knew about it. I've had two sons that go through school. They had never heard of it before. My youngest son worked here during the summer, and he was amazed. He always knew I did research, but he honestly did not know how safe it was and that it could be a career option. So this educating them on this is a possibility has been one thing I have really enjoyed. Absolutely. So in honor of Black History Month, I want to highlight a few key ways that CNS is committed to helping people of color trust mental health clinical research as a care option. Can you speak on a few of the actions that CNS does? Yes. We've done several outreach programs where the van has been there. We've done physicals, blood pressure checks, hemoglobin A1C. BMIs, fat percentage, all and, and free of charge, of course. We've also, every year for Christmas, we do donation of baskets for families in need, as well as we make sure the CNS that our staff is also diverse. So we try to have staff that has diverse backgrounds and can diverse languages as well. So that really makes a difference when clients come in. We are working with different sites and training them on diversity and to help them understand what we do, and then they help their clients understand what we do. And I've gone out to several places to just speak to their clients to let them know what we do. And most of all, a lot of times when I go out, it's not necessarily to recruit patients, but it's the education on what we do, why we do it. And then I talk about different disease processes and how researchers help those diseases, and how your mom, your grandparents, your sons or daughters may have to take those medications and the importance of research. So I do a lot of education on disease processes, and then I do include that in research. We're working with a health department who saw influx of immigrants and trying to get them to have physicals done so they can get their kids in school. And using the mobile van to do that, and of course, no charge to the parents. We do adopt a family. We've also gone to different shelters, box, blankets. I've worked with some halfway houses as well, giving them donations, what they needed. I go speak to their clients about the importance of research. I've done some physicals at the halfway houses as well. But the halfway houses was very special to me because I felt like I was giving them a voice and they had never been heard. And I focus on the mental health and it contributing to why you may be in a halfway house, past legal issues. And it makes a huge difference. Uh, was able to get them started in the right pathway as far as treating their mental health or treating the medical problem. You know, from your experience, hearing all this, it may be hard to commit to something like a van or outreach when you're not sure what the outcome will be, if it's going to help you from a business development perspective or from a recruitment perspective. Can you just talk about encouraging 
people for the effectiveness of mobile outreach and getting out in their community. Whether or not you see participants in clinical research, what it does for the site and for the community. So I know it may sound like a lot, but it is so worthwhile. And for the site, having a mobile bank, you can see patients, you can decrease their anxiety, but it also brands your site. So you may not see everybody on that mobile van, but guess what? They may go to your site and they may be able to participate. And you can see how research really works. And your site will get an even better understanding of research and how you can reach diverse populations. So it seems like a lot, but when you plan it out, it works very well because we have the mobile van, but we also have sites. So a lot of clients that I may see on the mobile van, I'm very honest, I may need you to go in to the site so they can come into the site. And they may see when they're at the site after college. They may see our internal medicine doctor. They may not necessarily go into a study because I'm very honest. I'm like, I just need a second opinion. So that's how it helps. But most of all, they will know you have helped them. And if there's any other study that comes up, you think that would be a good fit, you can call them and they will more than willing to come in to do a study and tell their friends about it. So it's not like I get an influx of people on a mobile van because I don't people go, oh my God, so much work. It's nice because then they tell other people and this is really how you build trust in a community. And I would say advertising is one, but it's what that person is saying in church to that church member, whether they're tell, saying in the hair salon, in the barbershop, in the grocery store, that's what really builds trust in a community. So the mobile van has doing that, but also having the site here and having excellent staff does it as well. I love that. I want to elevate a little bit some of the advocacy organizations that CNS works with, specifically for people of color or that highlight the importance of mental health awareness in black communities. Can you tell me a few of the organizations that you guys work with so that our listeners can follow and support as well? Yes. One organization I really love working with is in Jacksonville. It's called Dear Black Girl. The founder is amazing. Is I learned a lot because I thought it was for, you know, one group of people. The organization works with women of color in all sections, building self-esteem. They work with CEOs, COOs who on the job are one way, but are struggling so much on the inside that they feel like things are coming apart. I really love that organization. There's another organization I work with, and it's actually a beauty salon called Hair Jewel. She has a huge clientele. She does a wonderful job. She also does work with the women hotels doing their bridles. And she approached me about learning more about research and mental health because of the clients she sees. So we do, we've done some group sessions there, we've done some seminars, we focus on mind, body, and health. I also work with a wonderful trainer who focused on mind, body, and health. He does have an Instagram account and he talks a lot about how he went through a lot of mental health. His mother is actually one of our workers here. So I work with him. His site is, is D2, but he's a personal trainer. He's wonderful. There is um, Locks by Gigi, who is another hair salon in Jacksonville, Florida, who really focuses on mental health because of the women she sees in the salon and how much emphasis women of color in hair and everything. So I've been working with her. We also want to put together like a seminar to discuss mental health with women of color. 
Do you do any work well, with black women in clinical research? Yes. So, yes, black women in clinical research has been a wonderful group for me. They even opened up my mind, and I was in research, about so many opportunities in research and the importance of research and how in communities of color it helps us build a legacy. It makes us a part of medicine. We all know that there are health disparities in the black community. But when I started reading the articles and became a member of black women in clinical research, it made me realize how much more it is so important and the need for it. Well, as an industry, we still have a lot of work to do, but I think that having these conversations that may be a little bit uncomfortable and elevating black individuals in clinical research and in general, um, just expanding the idea that mental health is for everybody is very important. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about all of your experiences. You lend so many different perspectives that I know it can help someone, and I hope that through this we're able to at least reach a few people that will be inspired, whether that be to participate in a trial or to have a career in clinical research. Yes, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. It's been amazing, and I'm so excited. You are like our first podcast of 2023, and so we are starting strong with you, and I wish you all the best, and I'm excited for our continued partnership moving forward. Oh, yes, I am too. Once again, thank you so much.